Good morning. I, I am with Jason. I am amazed at our worship team. Last night was awesome, and by the end of it, my voice was cracking, and I was starting to get a little hoarse myself, so I don't know how they wake up in the morning and just do it again. It's, uh, it's tough. So if my voice starts cracking, I'm not going through puberty, all right? I'm not going through puberty. Don't worry about that. And uh, So last week we talked about being witnesses and how, um, you know, it's not just the job of the pastor, it's not just the job of the leaders in the church to be witnesses, but of all of ours to be witnesses, how, uh, you know, in Acts, they they put seven people into the work of the ministry. Everybody else was devoted to praying and preaching, right, which was witnessing to all the people around them. And uh, I want to go further with that. I want to I want to kind of look to see how that is and... <clears throat> I did some studying this week. I was doing a lot of studying, and I went, I was going deep. Like, I'm in Isaiah, I'm in Matthew, Romans, I'm all over, and I'm checking out the uh, Greek words, you know, and I'm I'm getting deep. Like, this is going to be, we're going to get hit hard, right? I'm, I'm, I'm praying, and, and then yesterday morning, I woke up, and God said, hey, I just want you to do Luke 6. <laughs> I was like, okay, that sounds good, you know, so I, so we're going to be in Luke 6. And we'll start in verse 12. Uh, so, yeah, you guys don't get all the good stuff. I got that for myself. You just get Luke 6, which is pretty good in itself. So, yeah, if it, uh, I won't bore you as much, hopefully, this way. So, that's, uh, that's one good thing that, that you, and actually that's part of this message in a little bit, but one of the good things you learn, uh, the people who get the most out of a Sunday message is the person given the Sunday message. And that's because they study so much. What you get is just the leftovers usually. And uh, But hey, it's, it's still good. So uh, we're going to start out Luke 6, verse 12. And I'm just to give you a rundown of what's gone on before this. Uh, this is still early on in Jesus' ministry. We know this because here in a few minutes, he's going to tell us that he, he chose, this is the time that he chose the apostles. Right, so he had disciples already, but he was choosing the apostles right before this. But he had just in in the beginning of Luke six, he is um, kind of almost humiliating, humbling the um, Pharisees who are saying, "Hey, your your disciples are picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath." And Jesus says, "Hey, wait a minute! The Sabbath is not." You know, it's not a a law thing. It was set up for man to worship God. It was set up for us. It wasn't something to be held to and worshipped. And yet they were worshipping wrong. And then right after that, you know, there's this guy with a crippled hand and he says, Hey, uh, is it lawful for me to heal him or is it not lawful for me to heal him, right? Is it lawful for on the Sabbath for me to do good or is it, should I just do bad? Right, and he's he's setting them up for this whole thought process of and us of that sometimes we get caught in doing uh church, we get caught up in the traditions, we get caught up in we focus on the wrong stuff, our minds aren't in the right place, right, and uh the Sabbath was for a time period of them worshiping God and only God, and God in the flesh is talking to them, and they couldn't even get it. Right, 
These disciples are walking with God every single day of their lives. And the Pharisees are like, hey, on the day that we spend time with God, they're doing this. And he's like, you don't get it. They devoted their whole lives to me. Right? They, they got it. They figured it out. It wasn't a Sunday thing. It wasn't a Saturday thing for them. They were with him every single day. And yet they were the ones people were saying were doing it wrong. And uh, so Luke 6 verse 12 says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. I'm going to pray right after that. We're going to, we're going to stop and pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that, Lord, I thank you that you speak to us, Lord. I thank you that, that even though sometimes we get it wrong, you constantly are, are doing it right in us, Lord. I pray that as a, as this message comes out today, that it'd be your words, Lord, not mine. That it wouldn't be a result of my studying, but it'd be a result of your Holy Spirit speaking. Father God, we need you. Lord, I pray that your words would come out today, that you would change every one of our hearts, Lord, and that we would all we'd all be new, Lord. We would all be different than the way we came in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's Jesus, God in flesh, spends a whole night praying. God in flesh still has to go and learn from the Father at night, a whole night. And sometimes, like, if I'm getting away and I'm praying, and like 15 minutes in, sometimes I'm like, all right, I'm tired. I'm, I got to do something, right? 15 minutes, and I'm not God. Like, I don't have the plan. I don't understand. And yet, I still, 15 minutes in, can get, all right, it's time to go, right? Now, mind you, there's times like I press through and there, I can spend a lot of time in prayer. But when God the Father is devoting his or God the Son is devoting his life to praying to God the Father, that's pretty impressive. That that tells us there's a need. And it, it's probably just me, but that need needs to be bigger in my life. I need to be hungrier for that. I need to desire that more. I need to not only desire it more, I also need to be more obedient in it, right? I need to do that. And it's probably just me, but I fall short a lot in it, right? But here's the son showing this. And, you know, the whenever Jesus asked the apostles, what can I do for you? The only thing they wanted was to learn how to pray. That's all they asked was to learn how to pray. Because they understood they were with God every single day, and they understood the power of prayer. They understood what he had. And they wanted it. And like us, they were falling short. We know that because whenever Jesus goes to pray right before he's taken captive, they just keep falling asleep. They couldn't do it. Here he is praying all night, and here we are. And I don't blame them because if it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm sitting there praying, I'm going to be snoring. That's just the way it is, like... Past 10 o'clock, I'm about done. And praying past that, you know, it took a lot of discipline. And he had it. So when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, 
who he also designated apostles, so he names apostles. And I'm only pointing that out to let you know that this is still early on. Right? This is where we're at in this time period. Down to verse 17, and it said, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. A great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Now we know... We know he's God the Father, or God the Son. Not all of them knew that. But we also know that he says later on, this stuff only happens with much prayer and fasting. See, only way these things happen, much prayer and fasting. And I would imagine, not only when you're God, but also if you could pray all night long and and be ministered to by the Holy Spirit, to be praying and, and fellowshipping with God the Father, and you're doing that all night long, I would imagine miracles follow. I would imagine what God can do in you is bigger because Jesus said, I only do what I see the, my Father in heaven doing. That's all he was doing. He wasn't doing a new thing. It looked new. It was new to the world, but he was doing exactly what God the Father was doing because he was on the same page with God the Father. And if we would devote ourselves in prayer the way he devoted himself in prayer, I think we would be more in line with what God the Father is doing. Right? And the more we're in line with God, and we're obedient to God, and we're walking our lives out like He did, we start seeing miracles, but also, your witness just got a lot easier because people are seeing it. Right? They're seeing what you're doing. So that way, when they say, what is going on? You'd be like, it's God. It's all Him. I can't do anything without him. Like, there's nothing I can do to help anybody without him. Right? Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This is what hit me all week long. Blessed are those who are poor. And the next one says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. I think, and this is me, but I believe I believe God lines up with it because I really got hit in prayer with it. I believe in our churches today, we're not poor and we're not hungry anymore. And I will tell you why I think this. I believe... Just to give you an idea, let's say I have a glass cup here, and every day, every week, I come and I put an ounce of water in that glass cup, right? Every single week. Eventually, what's going to happen to it? It's going to be full, and I can either pour more in it, let it overflow, or once it's full, I can just let it sit there, right? And every week, I'm going to come to get ready to put some water in it, maybe a little bit evaporated, and I can put a little in it, but it gets to the point to where... It's just sitting there, and it becomes stagnant. And after a while, it's not even good to drink because it's gotten so old. It's been contaminated. It's been it's bad. All it's good for is throwing out, right? 
And I think that's sometimes where we get in churches. We come every single week and we get poured into, but nothing's coming out. And when nothing comes out, we stop getting thirsty. We stop getting hungry. Imagine if you ate at every single meal and nothing ever came out. Exactly. You're talking about a bad time. You're talking about sickness. You're talking about pains. You're talking about your body is angry. What's that? It, it, it could become septic. Become septic, which I think means bad. <laughs> things don't work right if things aren't coming out. When new comes in, there has to be room for it. Has to be room for it. And if nothing's going out, you're no longer hungry. You're no longer thirsty. If you have all the stuff in you, you don't feel like you need more. This is why so often you hear people say, I stopped going there. I wasn't getting fed anymore. You know what? You weren't feeding anybody. That's the problem. The reason why we don't get fed anymore is because we're not feeding others. The only way we get blessed is by blessing. Right? Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. And I know he said that because Paul said he said that. It's better to give than receive. Doesn't mean you just go out and give. You have to receive before you can ever give it. If I have nothing to give, then I'm not giving. All right, I'm going to move on before we get too stuck in this. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And this is one of those that I'm not a weeper, I'm not a crier, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not an emotional person at all. Not much affects me. But I will say what does affect me is whenever I see people not saved, when I see the issues in our world, when I see the enemy winning around us, I may not be weeping, but I'm hurting inside for that. It affects me. If that doesn't affect us now, we're not going to have joy later. We're not going to see things to be joyful over. We're not going to laugh later. If we're not hurting for the people around us and for the world, what good are we? You will never have joy because you're not helping. Right? I, on the way here on the radio is perfect. I hear this guy talking. I don't even remember who it was. And he's talking and he says that uh, there's a psychologist, well-named psychologist. I don't know the names of psychologists, but he's well-known. And a guy came to him and he said, hey, uh, I've just been having all this anxiety. I've been having panic attacks. What should I do? Expecting a psychologist to say, you need to go on vacation. You need a break, which... Most psychologists would do. This guy said, you need to go across the train tracks, find somebody in need and start helping them. Right? There's our thing. When it's all about us and we're all so inward focused and we're sitting there and we have nothing coming out, we get septic. It's not good. We have to be pouring out. That's where joy comes from. Every one of you know anytime you've helped somebody else, it's been far better when somebody, than somebody helping you. Than whatever you're getting. When you receive something nice, you're like, Woo, this is awesome. 
And then it gets stale and it gets, just becomes what you have. But when you give to others, it never stops happening. There's such a blessing in it. Blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. This is still there. This is still the same message. This is saying, don't be afraid of what people think when you start talking to them about me. Stop worrying about what others say, do, think about you. The persecutions that may happen. You know, in in Canada right now, pastors are overjoyed to share the gospel right now. Because right now, in Canada, many of them are going to prison for sharing the word of God. Many of them. And that's just right above us and our nation's following suit. And they're blessed by it because they know that it's the truth that they hate, not them. They know that they're trying to take down Jesus and they're saying, I'm going to stand with Jesus. And it's happening over and over there. It's happening in other countries. But we get worried that maybe our, our co-worker will think we're weird or not like us. Or, or usually it's a made-up fear because nobody around you has even known that that you speak this stuff. Nobody around you even knows what you're doing and nobody's ever even said a negative word to you. It's the fear that it could happen. Right? But if you speak the Word of the Lord, if you start sharing what God gives you and you get persecuted, it says you're blessed. Guess what else might happen though? Somebody may get saved from it. It may just happen. We may start building the kingdom of heaven if we just stop having a fear of what others may think. Our community may be completely changed, starting with the people around us. That's how we reach a community. It starts with us. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. (laughs) I like that. For that is how their their ancestors treated the prophets. It's happened throughout all Scripture, all the way from the beginning till now, that the enemies use people to try to bring down the kingdom of heaven. It will not happen. Those blessings he speaks of are those people you're speaking to and get saved. Right? And he who is faithful with a little is given much. If you can begin speaking to just one, eventually you'll have more. But you've got to start with one. So many people go to school to become pastors, and I like that. But you'll never be a pastor that's good if you didn't start ministering to people before you get to position a pastor. All you're going to be then is somebody who's preaching a word and probably not even of God because you don't get it. But you start small, and more will be given to you. I promise you this, if you start serving the Lord and start doing things and start ministering to, and I've seen some of you guys, some of you guys are great at this. You know, I, I, Curtis back there, his co-workers, he talks to them. Mostly because he likes it when people are angry with him. But, <laughs> but hey, we should do that. There's a blessing in it. And I, I know he will tell you that whenever people receive what he's saying, receives the Word of God, man, there's nothing better, is there? Nothing better. We need to live that away. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. When we're sitting around basking in the Word of God and all the, 
all the promises of the Bible and, and we have all these great words and knowledge and we sit around all puffed up like, oh, I'm good. I'm saved. I have this going on. Everything's good. We've become rich and God can't give us anything. He can't do it. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. And when we sit around and we're, we're like, nobody's feeding me. You're actually being hungry for being fed. But you can't, because God can't do anything for you because you're not pouring out so you can get more in you. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. How many of us, and I know nobody in here does this, laughs at other people's struggles, looks at somebody who doesn't have it right and thinks, wow, how messed up. How often do we just point out people's issues, judge them, all the other things, and then walk away thinking, I'm glad I got it right. We will be humbled. We will be saddened. And and I'm saying that not saying necessarily you. I've done those things. I've done them. And uh, usually when I walk away, God convicts me immediately, and I'm down. It's the way it usually happens. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So when people, like whenever you're walking around, I'm like, wow, nobody dislikes me. I've got it good. There's probably an issue. Right? We know that if, if there's no persecution, there's nothing to persecute. Right? If Satan's not unhappy with what you're doing, you might want to watch what you're doing. Right? Because it will come. There will be attacks. There will be things. I, I just think about Barnabas Ministries. You know, I've been Barnabas Ministries for years. In the last five years, we have seen attack over attack under attack under attack left and right. Our people, we've had, out of our board, we've had, we have seven people on our board. Three of them have had cancer over and over. Right? We have leaders whose marriages are always under attack. Their kids are having issues. We, we see it over and over. And, and there's always this thought process of maybe we should stop. Or maybe we say blessed are us who can be persecuted for God. Blessed are us who are serving the Lord and get to go through these hard struggles. Right? If we're not going through struggles, if we're not seeing stuff happen, if we're not seeing people trying to attack, if we're not seeing even our closest friends saying, you're an idiot, if we're not seeing this stuff, man, we got to get busy. we got to start ruffling feathers. Right? We need to do that. We need to look different. You know, instead of everybody like, oh yeah, he's a Christian. He's such a good person and he's the, he's the most liked guy around. Where's all these people protesting us? Where's all these people mad at us? Right? There's a lot of evil people. Not, not to say we go out to do it to cause strife because we are called to be peacemakers. But Satan ain't even trying to come at us. Right? But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's a hard one. It's an important one. 
but it's a hard one. I'll give you a, a quick example without saying a whole lot. My brother John had a, a person he had to deal with every day who had a sin nature that, well, I'll just say it, they, it was a person who thought they were of the opposite sex. They're living as if they're, you know, like if a male thought they were female, this person would thought they were female. And he asked me, how do I deal with that? How can I work with a person like that all the time? You know how you do that? You show them more love than anybody in the world has ever showed them. You treat them like they're of the image of God. Right? You don't look at them as in, wow, they're lost, they're messed up, I need to make sure they get fixed. Guess what? You can't fix anybody. You can only make them worse. But you can introduce them to the one who can fix them. You can love them in such a way, and and trust me, it's hard. I know it's hard. I live in the same world you do. I know how hard it is to look at some of the stuff we have going on and say, I'm going to love them. But when you do, things change. Right? We're tested in this, but if you look at all the Scripture... These guys were going through the same stuff we're going through now. These these things we're seeing now were as rampant, if not more rampant back then than they are now. And Jesus said, love them. Love them right where they're at. Pray for them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them also the other. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. As men, we just want to fight. You slap me in the cheek, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. But all that does is cause a fight and you go away. Either you're both angry or you never talk again. If somebody slaps you in the face or if somebody hurls an insult at you and you say, you know what, I love you. And I'm going to keep praying for you. I believe God has a purpose for your life. You're made in the image of God. And you attack in that way that is more of a love, guess what? Things change. That person's going to walk away and they're going to be convicted. They're going to feel different. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now I'm going to... Add a disclaimer in this. If somebody's out doing a lot of theft and they get arrested, you need to pray about it. If somebody's doing something, breaking the law, you have to pray about those such things because sometimes we're just like, yeah, whatever. And if they have a pattern that needs corrected, we need to be in the Lord's will with that, right? Because... Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's times we need correction. There are times that we need reined in so God can do something. So we need to operate under His His guidance, right? If you love those who love you, what credit is it that is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And I'm going to pause for a second here. If we, uh, if we have those who minister around us, if we have people in this church building, and we're always paying honor to them, and we're, we're loving them, and we're, we're doing what we're supposed to, because, you know, Jesus said they will know you by how you love one another. If that's the only time we're showing love, there's a problem, right? That's what he's talking to here. Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? So if we're only doing good to those who can do good back or repay the favor, there's a problem. We shouldn't live that way. We should want to do good. We should want to help others with never even thinking, what am I getting out of this? It should be out of an act of love. Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Hey, there we go. Then your reward will be great without expecting to get... Or, and you will be children of the Most High. I want to reread that. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. It almost seems like this is a prerequisite of being a child of the Most High. Because these are the words of Jesus. He says, Then your reward will be great and you will be a child of the Most High. Not because you're a child of the Most High. It says, You will be a child of the Most High. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now, Jesus was the Son of the Most High. He did these very things. If we are getting fed every week and we're bringing in the Word of God and we're reading daily and we're praying all the time, why is it not coming out? Why do we not look like Jesus Christ? Are we going to fail? Yes, we're going to fail, but why are we not doing it? Why are those around us not getting saved? Why are... Why are persecutions not there? Why do we... Jesus Christ went around loving everybody perfectly. And He was killed. Why should I think if I act like Jesus, people won't want to kill me? Right? Alright, we're almost done here. We're, we're getting there. we got just a little bit left, actually. we got a lot left, but we'll make it quick. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're doing all right. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. If we, I always hear this is because of the measure you judge, and we'll see that later, but if we just stop judging people, if we just say, hey, you know what? God's the judge, and I don't have to do that. If you just stop, like when you see somebody who's like a bad druggie and you're like, oh, he's strung out again. If we stop judging that person, we're like, how can I love that person? If we take the judgment out, there's a lot more peace inside of us, right? If we're not condemning people, there's a joy inside of us. 
when I don't think I have to hold somebody accountable all the time that I don't even know, and I remember there's a God of the universe who can do that, we're free. That bondage is gone. And, and I say that because Keeve and I prayed that the other week. And God told us that we, we were free of all that. There's no bondage in it. You're not bound by others. What others do, what they think, whether they, they receive Christ. All you're bound by is your relationship with Christ and sharing it. That's all you have to do. What happens after that is on them and on Jesus. We're free. It says, forgive and you will be forgiven. I don't have to preach that. We've all heard that a million times. But it's true. If you cannot forgive others, you will not be forgiven. And you will not even forgive yourself whenever you hold other people to something that you won't forgive them. One of the worst problems we have as Christians is we can't even forgive ourselves. And it's because we always hold stuff against others also. When Jesus said, forgive others, you're another. Forgive yourself also. Give, and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. So when we pour out whatever it is financially, the Word of God, love, whatever it is, you give it, guess what? You get it back. You get it back. We don't give so we get back, but it will be given back. And this is good. It says a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. So now you're not stagnant, just sitting there without being allowed to have more. You're getting more than you can handle. And by whatever measure, you're measuring it, right? So if I'm loving somebody 100% fully, I'm giving my whole entire life to God, and that's the measure of what I'm giving... I'm going to get far back more. Way more. When I bless others, the blessings I get back, they're godly blessings. They're not from me. They're from God. And it's overflowing more than I can handle. So it's a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want you to think about that saying there. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. So your thoughts, your ideas, when you say something like, if I have something left over, I'll give to that person. Or if I make it to this point, I'll, I'll help somebody in this situation. And whenever you limit, like you, you're giving only the extras, you're, you're not giving the best you have. You're not going to get the best. Because your measurement's not the best measurement. The measurement you use to give is the same you will get back. Whenever I say, God, I'm going to give you my time if I have time after work. It's like, alright. And I'll give you my time if I have some left over. But if I say, God, I'm going to give you my time, the first of it. I want it all to be yours. You can have it all. 
And he'll say, Eddie, I'm giving you a mile. Because he can. He's allowed to at that moment. I haven't limited what he can give me. Right? He also told them the par- this parable. Can, you bind, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. I'm going to go on with this, and I'm going to come back to all this. I want to go over all of it here. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take a plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to move the speck from your brother's eye. A blind man cannot lead another blind man. A person who's not showing love cannot share love with somebody else and teach them how to love. A person who is not pouring out cannot show somebody else how to pour out. If we're trying to reach the world, if we're trying to help somebody else, it's not going to happen. Right? When I look at somebody and like, hey, you need to be more like Christ. And I got that big speck of me not looking more like Christ in my eye. I can't help anybody. I cannot do anything. I'm the person who's struggling with the same thing they're struggling with, not realizing it and trying to get them to do what I'm doing. Right? It's like whenever you have somebody who struggles with lust trying to minister to somebody else who struggles with lust. Or like whenever somebody who's having marriage problems and they go to the person who's been divorced three times. Guess what? That person can't help you. They're blind in that moment. That person may be the greatest person ever, but when it comes to marriage, they didn't figure it out. Don't go to them, right? And whenever somebody who's a Christian and they look more like the world than they do Christ, they can't help somebody. Right. And, and I'm going to tell you, the reason why I want to share this part here is, and I've shared it with you guys, and some of you have heard this, but whenever I was in the Army, when I went to Germany, my first day in Germany, my friend and I, we grew up together. We went together. We said, when we get to Germany, we're not going to drink. It wasn't because of God. It's just we knew we both had alcoholic fathers. We knew how bad it was. Right? We'd seen it. I went to one place in Germany, he went to another. That very night I was drunk. Right? I began to live the way I grew up living. I I would go to church on Sundays, as I said before, I'd pay I thought I'd pay my penance, right? I'd mess up and I'd do everything wrong and then go to church and read my Bible every day and I was paying for my own sins. But I went to visit my friend probably about a month into being in Germany, and he's miserable. The interesting thing is he was miserable before we went in the army. His family life was horrible. Like he hated his family life. He couldn't wait to get away. And then we get to Germany, he couldn't wait to get home. He's like, I'm homesick. I just want to go home. And I'm like, how are you homesick? You hated your home life. He goes, yeah, but it's better than here. And I said, hey. If you don't get into church and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll never be happy. You'll always be homesick. Which is nothing I would have ever said back then. 
I mean, I read the Bible, I went to church, all that, but I don't know why I said that. I don't even remember saying it. And then I said, hey, let's go out and get a beer. He said, I thought we weren't going to drink. I was like, hey, man, we're far away from home. Well, what else are you going to do? Right after I said, hey, if you don't get to the church, right? Good friend. So we go out and we, we get drunk. Guess what? He really liked drinking. He became an alcoholic. That's all he ever did. He was such a bad alcoholic. I get sent to Fort Lewis, Washington. He goes to Fort Hood, Texas. And while he's in Fort Hood, Texas, he's still drinking, partying, chasing every woman he can get, and he finds a lady. This girl, I, I ended up meeting her right before their wedding, and I said, I think you're making a bad mistake. But he gets married to this woman, who's also an alcoholic. And here I am, the guy who taught him all this, trying to tell him that's a bad idea. Right? So he gets married to this girl. They have a kid. This kid is six months old, and his wife leaves him. He's living in Texas. She leaves, goes to Colorado, finds another man. He's stuck with a six-month-old baby. Loved the baby. Great girl, right? And he's driving down the road, and he is bawling his eyes out with his six-month-old daughter in the back, and he doesn't know what to do. And he passes a church steeple, and he remembers the words I spoke in Germany. If you don't get into church and get a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will never be happy. And he pulled into the church. Thankfully, the pastor was there. He was able to give his life to Christ. And he began going to the church and serving the Lord and made Jesus the Lord of his life. He met a woman, got married. I mean, they do a lot of ministry now. They do so much. But I say that story because later on he tells me, when I see him all change, I'm like, what happened, man? He goes, it's the words you told me in Germany. I'm like... I remember in Germany, he's going to get drunk, and he told me what I told him, which wasn't me. It was God, because like I said, it wasn't nothing I would have said at the time. And it hit me. There's two things you do. You do one of two things with your life every day. Either you're leading people to Christ, or you're leading them away from Christ. Because Scripture tells you there's no in-between. Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me. Right. You're one or the other. Whatever you're doing is either for Christ or it's not. In that moment, I was for Christ and then I wasn't. I made a decision to lead him the wrong way, lead him astray. God made the decision to use a word I said to bring him back. And every day I get to make those decisions. I get to make a decision to lead somebody towards Christ or not. And I could go, I'm not going to go through all this here. Uh, Tracy, you can come on up. But It goes on talking about how you know if you bear, bear good fruit. And you know, you know these scriptures. But the one thing we have to start doing is looking at our lives. What are we doing to lead people towards Christ or away from Christ? Right? What kind of witness are we on a daily basis? What are we pouring out? Are we still hungry not only for for God's Word and everything. But are we also hungry for souls? Are we hungry to help others? Are we wanting to love people the way Christ loved people? What do we look like? I'm going to ask you, if you were to stand back and look at your life, would you think you look like Christ? 
Would you think you were a good witness? And you're like, well, you told me not to judge. Paul did say, evaluate yourself and see where you're at. See where you stand. And we have to sometimes stop and evaluate ourselves. If we don't see the community around us changing, it's not because of a church building. It's not because of all the pastors we have in this area. It's because of us. We have a responsibility, and for some reason, the church in America seems to now think that it's we pay a church to do it, or we we do these. Like, why are the leaders not doing this? Because they're one person. There's seven people. There's ten people. They're not in your area. They're not where you're at. Walking with Christ, being a witness, is a daily act. It is a constant thing. It is not a Sunday thing. It's not a Monday night thing or a Wednesday night thing. It's a 24-7 act. And you're going to fail. But you've got to get back up and keep doing it. What we learn on Sundays, what we learn in our studies, what we learn in prayer, if we're not sharing that, what's the point? It's going to get stagnant and it's going to get old and it's going to get stale. And you have nothing to offer then. And I'm not telling you to go out and like, I'm going to go to Walmart when I leave here and stand in the aisle and start preaching. You can do that if God leads you to it. I, I, I'll watch. I think that'd be awesome. But you can go home and you can see your kid and say, you know what? I love you. And I want you to know about Christ. You can see your neighbor tomorrow and you can love them the way Jesus would love them. Right, you can you can be on your way home, and you may go to a restaurant, and you can look at them and say, "Hey, Jesus loves you, and so do I." Right? I don't know what God's going to use you to say to people, but we can start saying it. We can start sharing Christ. One of the things Pastor Chad and I noticed whenever we first was about to do this whole building in Evansville, him and I went to eat at a restaurant, and there was a waitress there. And you can tell she was troubled. And immediately both of us knew we were to love her like she was our own daughter. And we began speaking to her. And we start realizing that she works double shifts just to pay to have her kid taken care of. Right? She's a single mom. You start seeing the struggles. And then before we left, we were able to pray with her, right? But if you're not looking for those opportunities, if you're just looking at somebody and like, wow, that person's not very good at their job, they're awful distracted, well, there's probably a reason. Most people don't go to work hoping to do a bad job. There's usually something causing people to be the way they are right now. And we need to witness that. We need to pay attention to that. If you ever go out to eat with me, you'll know I'm really nice to waitresses and waiters for that reason. I will love them the best I can love them. And if they give me bad service, I'm going to love them more. We should be that way. If somebody's doing a bad job, you can talk to them. Say, hey, what's wrong? And then afterwards, if you feel like you need to hold them accountable, say, hey, you know, you need to press through. Don't say, man, you're horrible. Guess what? Some days we're horrible. But we need to love the way Jesus loved. 
We need to witness the way Jesus witnessed. And we need to bear the fruit. I'm going to close this in prayer since Tracy's uh, so kindly worshiping, starting the music. But as we worship here, I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it. If you need prayer from me, I'll pray with you. But mostly take it to God. Do what Jesus did every day. He did it all the time. said he withdrew often to pray. Often. And we always see him get away in that place alone praying. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you for Lord, I thank you for how much you pour in us. I thank you that, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you came down to be the example of who we should be, to show us how it was done to to live the perfect life and to love perfectly, Lord. And you gave us your word that we we can follow, Lord, that we can learn from, that we can glean from, Lord. Father God, I pray today, Lord, that you would help us, that you would show us how to love you more. How we can be more and more like you, Lord. And Father God, I pray as we go throughout this day that you would show us people we can love, Lord. That we can start with one. And as you begin to bless that, Lord, we pray that you would give more. So Father God, search us and show us where we're, we're lacking, Lord. As we worship you, Lord, minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. question uh, the other week when we were in prayer, Kevin and Paul and myself, that God brought to me again was, you know, in Scripture it says, return to your first love. Do the things you did at the beginning. And uh, what he asked was, what was it you did in the beginning when you first started your relationship with me, right? And I asked Kevin, and Kevin said, Whenever I accepted Christ, my first thought was, I wanted to share it with my friend. Right? That was his first thought. Because if you remember back to the moment you were first saved and you really got it, you had that aha moment and God was real in your life, you were so excited. There was something in you that God sparked inside of you. And if you would remember that moment, right? With Paul, it was a little different. Paul said he always knew there was God. But he was raised and thought there was a lot of gods. He didn't know. He just thought, oh yeah, people worshiped all the gods. There's a bunch of them. But then his brother told him about a teacher. One teacher. Who said there was one God. And told him who Jesus Christ was. So what did Paul do? Paul went to find that teacher. And he learned that there was one God. So you know what Paul did? He made sure everybody knew there was one God. It changed his whole life. And that was huge. 
for me? It was that moment I told you about my friend when God told me. Like I got saved at a young age because I didn't want to go to hell. But when I really got it that there was either leading people to Christ or away from Christ, that was it. I had to lead people to Christ. And I think that every one of us, that moment that we were truly saved, wanted everybody to know who Christ was. And somewhere along the line, that kind of dies off. We hope they know. We want somebody to tell them about Christ, but we're not praying for us to be able to witness to people about Christ. But that moment you get it, you're like, whoa, I got to tell everybody. There's an excitement. And then something happens. We, we stop being thirsty. We stop being hungry. Because we're overstuffed. We're those gluttons. But we're glutton on the Word of God. We're glutton on church. We become gluttons of it. And we're not pouring it out. We're not getting rid of it. We're getting septic. I like that word. I'm not 100% sure what it means, but I'm glad I know it now. Right? We're getting septic. So, I'm going to pray. And I hope you guys would pray throughout the week. And you pray with me now. I don't want to just be up here praying alone. We can agree to this. And if we, if we as a church would agree to start being better witnesses, oh my goodness, we can change the world. One person at a time, the whole world would change. And, and I, I will tell you this, you may think I only know one person who will listen right now. Go talk to that person. Let that be your practice. I remember a, a, a older lady one day, Mike and I were down in Dallas at a conference, and she said, I've always knew that if you plant a seed, there'll be growth. She said, what I didn't realize was whenever you plant a seed and there's growth and you cut open that, that apple, there's all those other seeds in it. Right, and, and her and her husband were youth pastors. They only knew of one kid that they really changed. There's a lady by the name of Jeannie Mayo. Only person they ever reached, Jeannie Mayo, had a horrible family life. And I don't know if you know Jeannie Mayo, but she may be the biggest, probably the most successful youth minister in American history. She has raised up more youth leaders. She has put out more resources for youth groups. She has ministered to millions of teenagers in America. And this old couple that poured into her as a kid didn't even know the effect of what they had until we're sitting in Dallas, Texas. And there are thousands of youth pastors at this place. And Mike and I are sitting there and this old couple comes out and they're just crying. They had no idea. They knew Jeannie was doing stuff. They didn't know what God was doing in her. But that same blessing that Jeannie did, what Jeannie was getting blessed with, they were blessed even more because it started in them. It was what they pour out. You may not know what the difference you're making, but you will one day when you make it to heaven. Right? We may only see a little bit of the fruit, but we don't see the, fruit, the seeds inside of that fruit. And then the seeds inside of the fruit they get, and the seeds and it all... We're like the greatest pyramid scheme in the world. One that's actually good, right? You start, you're up here and it just flows. And we get to be a part of that. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to bless us. And I'm going to ask that we would bless Him and bless others. So, Father God, I thank You, Lord. 
Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for our sins. Thank you for, for the life you live. Thank you for loving me when I didn't deserve it. Thank you for not judging me. Thank you for not looking past me because I wasn't good enough or I wasn't qualified enough. You said, that's the one I want him. And I thank you that you didn't look past me, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we go through our week, we would not look past anybody else. I pray, Lord, as we wake up every day that we would offer you our best. That you would no longer get our leftovers, Lord, and neither would others. We would give everybody our best, and in that moment, they would have 100% of us, Lord. And God, I pray as we get better and better at that, Lord, we begin to see you pour that back. You said we would get overflowing the same measure, Lord. So I pray as, as we devote ourselves fully to you, Lord, we begin to see how you're allowed to be devoted fully to us, God, and how you're able to pour more and more into us, God. Lord, help us share with our neighbors. Help us to share just with the one, Lord. Help us to plant that seed, God. And then help that grow. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for being with us. And I ask, Lord, that you would just bless everybody here and keep them safe throughout this week. And most importantly, Lord, let them be witnesses to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.